0: Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and I to welcome you to this next installment. This is our third installment in a series that we've called Counting on God. It's out of the Old Testament book of Numbers. Numbers doesn't get a lot of play because it opens up with a census. That's why where they numbered the people of Israel who came out of Egypt, the children of Israel, uh, the descendants of Abraham who came out of Egypt, they'd been where they'd been in slavery for over 400 years. And uh, when you read a book that starts with a census, a lot of people go, yeah, I'm skipping to another book. Okay? Uh, the problem with that is, is that after that census, we find them taking a journey to the promised land. And they have all these amazing interactions with God where they have to count on him. They have to trust him. And here's one of the little things that's so interesting in life. People often ask me this, they go, well, why do you think God allows us to go through things that test our faith? I mean, why can't it be more smooth sailing? And I go, well, think about it this way. I mean, if God wants us to grow in faith and it's impossible to please God without faith, the scripture tells us, I mean, he wants us to love and trust him, well, then he has to put us in situations where we can grow in that trust. But you know what situations where we grow in trust feel like? Scary, hard, difficult. And today we're going to come to situations. of each of the situations we looked, we've looked at in this series, they, got, they had to count on God for direction, they had to count on God for provision. Today. God's gonna test them whether they'll really believe that he will keep his promises to them. And will they count on him? And in our relationship with God, he's gonna ask us to step out on faith more than once. And if that's happening to you today and you're kind of in a scary situation and going, hey God, what gives? Well, what gives is he's allowing us to to grow in our faith. So we rely on prayer and we rely on him and not just our own wits and our own strength. You'll see where this is going today. Good lesson today on counting on God and trusting him more. Let's ask God to bless our time together. Gracious God, I thank you that um, you are a wise, heavenly father, and you know exactly what we need much more than we do. Father, there are many times when I would rather have just smooth sailing, but Lord, you insist on putting me through some situations that will make me pray more and trust in you and not my own strength. And so, Lord, for that, I give you Thanks especially when I see in stories like we're covering today where people did just the opposite and bailed out when they should have trusted you more. So help us learn today. I'm going to leave this time together closer to you than when we came in. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline entitled counting on God to fulfill his promises. And here's point one. God promised Abraham that his descendants would have become a great nation and have a land of their own. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land I'll show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, and I'll make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And so God appeared to Abraham, and he said, when you go walk around the territory where I lead you, it's the land where the nation of Israel is today in the Middle East, same plot of land. He said, if you go there and you trust me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to give you millions and millions of descendants. I'll make you into a great nation. And through you, all the nations on earth will be blessed. I mean, that's just a a foreshadowing of when Christ would come out of the descendants of Abraham. Amazing stuff. Here's a life application from that. The Lord always keeps his promises. That's a direct quote out of Psalm 145, 13. The Lord always keeps his promises. Could we read that out loud together, please? The Lord always keeps his promises. One more time. The Lord always keeps his promises. The only question is whether or not we're going to trust him when those promises seem too hard to believe. There's a note for you. It was hundreds of years later after God had promised Abraham this in Genesis 12, Genesis 17. He said, you're going to have a son. And Abraham was old then. He had this son Isaac when he was 100 years old. And he said, well, okay, so I'm going to have one son and he's going to inherit all the land. He goes, oh, no, no. You're going to have millions of descendants, but they're going to be in another land for over 400 years. God had promised all this to Abraham before it ever even happened. He said, this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, exactly as the Lord had promised, things unfolded. The descendants of Abraham, Jacob and Isaac, uh, as their families grew and other things, eventually they were led down to Egypt to escape a famine and they ended up living there for hundreds of years, became slaves, and God rescued them through a man named Moses. And that's the note here. God sent Moses to lead Abraham's descendants to new homes in the promised land. And by the way, if you'd circle the words promised land there, that promised land refers back to Genesis 12. Many times people don't understand, well, why is Israel called the promised land? Because it was the land that was promised Abraham after his descendants had been in slavery all those years. So after they have been in slavery and it came time to rescue them for God to fulfill his promise, that's when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because they're harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come down to rescue you from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. And God was telling them it's going to be an amazing land, but there are people living in it now, and you're going to have to drive them out. But I'll help you, don't worry. So God kept his promise to Abraham, and at the right time, they were led out of slavery. God sent a series of plagues on the Egyptians, and by the time those were finished, they were taking off their jewelry and their rings and their finest clothes and showering the children of Israel. These former slaves left Egypt, plundering their masters. They took all the wealth of Egypt with them when they left, anything they wanted. God led them by day, through a pillar of cloud, by night, through a pillar of fire, right through the Red Sea. He parted the water so they could cross on dry land. When Pharaoh and his army chased after him, the walls closed in on them and drowned the whole army so they didn't need to worry about Pharaoh ever again. They got to the other side. He provided water, miraculously, miraculously from a rock. Every morning, bread would have rained down from heaven to sustain them during the day. It was called manna. God gave them everything they needed. And today, as we continue on the story, he's going to get them right up to the promised land the land that he'd promised Abraham hundreds of years before. Now, I'm going through all this to remind you of these stories of how God has been faithful in the past because we're counting on him for a promise of our own. Look at the next note. Jesus will keep his promise to give us new homes in heaven. I mean, in the Old Testament, the promise was new homes in the promised land. Well, we have a promised land of our own, heaven. Heaven. In my father's house, Jesus said, there are many rooms. He's telling this to his disciples shortly before he was crucified. He told them, I'm going to die and I'm going to send to heaven and it'll be okay because when everything's ready, I'll come get you. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to heaven and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I'm counting on that promise. In fact, it's really interesting, a couple of days ago, uh, a lady here in Prattville passed away, and um, her family contacted me and asked if I would perform a memorial service for her on Friday afternoon, which I did. What was interesting was is that she had been in great pain and had struggled long term with a long-term illness that gradually wore her body down until she died. and her children said, "Make sure everybody understands." that she was trusting God for a brand new body in heaven. And so we read the passage out of 1 Corinthians 15 where the Apostle Paul tells us we have a brand new body that's as far superior to our bodies here on earth as a corn stalk is to a little kernel of corn. And remind everybody there that she was looking forward to being in heaven. And so we read the glimpse of heaven that John had in Revelation where it says there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more death ever again, and we'll be in the very presence of God. And they said, remind everybody of that because she wanted everybody to know that she was glad she could get out of this broken physical body, get into a new heavenly body, and be in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Now, I reminded everybody of that on Friday afternoon, and you better believe I enjoyed it. <laughs> and I'm reminding you of it right now. We're not the ones who are afraid of dying. Why would we be afraid of dying? We go home to be with our Lord and Savior Jesus forever in heaven. If that's good news, would you say amen? amen. When these mortal bodies of ours fail and wear out, well, we're guaranteed a brand new body that will never wear out again. Is that good? If that's good news to you, would you say amen? amen? Well, then we need to know, and the scripture tells us that it's true, that God is a God who keeps his promises. I can count on him. Not just promises about heaven, though. All the other promises in Scripture, too. And God is going to put us in situations from time to time where he's going to see, do you really count on me? I mean, if I ask you to forgive, will you count on me to give you the strength to forgive? If I ask you to step up, will you count on me to give you courage to step up? Will you count on me? Well, we'll see what happened with the children of Israel. So they're on the journey on the way to the promised land. Sadly, when they arrived at the border of the promised land, they refused to go in. The whole point of their journey was to get there, and when they got right to the edge, they wouldn't go. Here's how it happened. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. The Lord had commanded him when they they were at a camp known as Kadesh, and the Lord commanded him, hey, just wait here and have some spies send out a leader from those 12 tribes, send out a leader from each of the tribes, a spy, send out 12 spies to go and spy out the land. And then when they come back, the, then you'll know the best way to go in. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all the tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? Do their towns have walls? Are are they open and unprotected like open camps? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. So they went up and explored the land. Now, if I could have that graphic of that map that I gave you guys earlier, if we could put that up on the screen, please. I want you to understand kind of a little bit of geography here. Egypt is off to the left there. They started from the land of Goshen in Egypt. They went across the Red Sea where uh, I'm going, I'm starting the left-hand side of the page, moving right. And then down at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula, that's in that mountain range at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula is where Mount Sinai is. Then they went up, the, uh, they were there about a year. That's where they got the Ten Commandments, built the tabernacle, got their whole government organized, got everything set up so they could be on the march. And then for a few months, they marched up uh, the right side there, that red line, and you took a hard left to that place called Kadesh. Kadesh is where they stopped. And from there, they sent spies straight up toward where Jerusalem is. The spies would have gone up through the land of Israel, roughly the same boundaries as Israel is today. It's a chunk of real estate, about 150 miles long, about 80 miles wide. And so these spies would have had to hoof it. I mean, they would have gone, you know, at least 300 miles round trip, but it's 80 miles wide. They would have gone a number of places, so most people think they traveled about 400, 450 miles in those 40 days. So they were going. So not only were they good spies, they were in good shape. Anyway, uh, here's what happened. So explore the land. So they went up and explored the land. They even cut down a branch of a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of, the pom- of some pomegranates and figs, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned, and here was the report. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it's indeed a bountiful country. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, and here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants living there, the descendants of Anak. Anak was apparently a freakishly huge man. And there was a whole clan that descended from Anak. He had three sons, and they were all huge. And, and so there was a whole uh, clan of people, a race of people. They were very strong and very powerful. There was even a saying, they lived in the southern part of what is today Israel, in that territory. So that would have been the first group of people they came to. And after they explored the land, the last people saw right, they saw right before they left. There were other people living in the land. But they were these guys were huge. In fact, uh, hundreds of years later, uh, after the Israelites had driven all these people out, there were pockets of of this clan of little families apparently that survived and hung on even until the time of David, because one of the descendants of Anak, a number of the descendants of Anak, had gone to live in a place called Gath, which is close to the Mediterranean Sea, and Goliath was descended from this clan, and Goliath was over nine feet tall. Now I've never met a nine-foot tall man. The closest that I've come recently was a few years ago. My son Evan and I uh, were here, where I'm in this room where I'm actually speaking from today in Prattville, and uh, an NBA player uh, came to speak here. and Evan and I were standing with him. This guy's seven, four. His name's Mark Eaton. And Evan's six, five, and we were looking up to him. Some other people with us were like, you know, five, six, five, seven. They came about to his belt buckle okay? This guy is a monster, and his hands were huge. He shook hands like shaking hands with a baby squid. I mean, it just kind of like fingers just kind of engulfed you. And I was just sitting there thinking, okay, if you had to take this guy on, that would be a challenge, okay? And he'd be puny compared to Goliath or the descendants of Anak. So when they said there are huge people living there, they weren't joking. This guy would have been a toddler. Okay, anyway, Uh, so we'll go on. But so So they said, yeah, it's a beautiful land, but they kept focusing on only the people who lived in the southern part here, these giants. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Well, let's go in once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. No, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there, and all the people we saw were huge. You see how they're exaggerating that. Well, it wasn't all the people. It was just the people. There were pockets where these people lived. Yeah, they were there. And if the land's devouring everybody, well, how come all these people are living there? Open your outline. It keeps going. Numbers 13 and 14. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Well, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron, Oh, if only we died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Well, then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, Tore their clothing and they said to the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, He'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. rich. It is rich and flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of that land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. I mean, Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes and they said, What are you kidding? Don't you remember how the walls of water closed in on the Egyptian, the entire Egyptian army, riding chariots, chasing us through the Red Sea? Don't you remember the plagues? Don't you remember how God provides bread every morning and water from a rock for us to drink? The very cloud that's guiding us is right there. Why would you be afraid now? a couple of things to think about. First of all, the exaggerated negative report of the 10 spies spread fear throughout the camp. Fear is contagious. And when people start spreading negative stories, those are easy to focus on. It's human nature. I mean, you've had this happen to you. You can have an event where you do a presentation at work or you're in charge of something and 10 people send you encouraging emails. Good job. And you get one email that says, well, here are some things you could have done better. Which one are you going to focus on for the next two months? Yeah, the negative one. So imagine now if most of the spies come back with a negative report. Oh! And soon the story just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Now it wasn't just that, hey, in the southern part there's some giant people living there, but the land's really good. That's not what they said. Now, all the people are huge, and the land devours people. Mm-mm. Proverbs 14 15, only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. Do you know that not everything on the internet's true? I've heard that. And did you know a lot of people would love to get us angry and fearful and afraid in order to sell us stuff? Really? Yeah, really. Because people who are terrified have very little sales resistance. Welcome to the report of the ten spies. Here's another, life, here's another life application. If we fear God, we don't need to be afraid of anything or anyone else. If we fear God, we don't need to be afraid of anyone or anything else. But the crazy thing is, if we don't fear God, we will be afraid of everyone and everything else. Because we're going to have to rely on our own wits and our own strength. And we know we don't know everything, and we know our strength can fail. God never asked them to go into the land without him. He said, I'm going with you. The same God who rescued you from the Egyptians will take you into this promised land. All he wanted to do was to see if they would really trust him. And when their circumstances changed, they didn't. They became terrified. Listen to a couple of scriptures here. God is our refuge and strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea, Psalm 46. If you haven't marked that in your Bible, mark it. Put it on a three-by-five card, tape it to the dash. We are not people who live in fear. Now, it doesn't mean that we take stupid, blind chances. Do not hear that. What it means is, is that we weigh carefully the things we hear. Not everything that is presented as a danger really is. And we pray about things. And we seek godly counsel. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.7. Paul talking to his disciple Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. We can discipline our thoughts. We don't have to give in to fear. Why are we afraid? If God's calling us to step up, then he'll go with us and he'll give us the strength. If he's calling us to go and confront someone who needs to be confronted, he'll give us the words to say. If he opens a door for me to share my faith, then he's opened that door and all I got to do is be obedient to walk through it. He'll show me what to do. Well, Why has God put me in these situations? Remember, to help us grow. God, I want to be strong, but don't put any weight on the bar. God, I want to see you do miracles, but I don't want to have to rely on one. God, I want you to empower me, but I don't want to use the power you give me. That doesn't even make sense. And God was asking his very own people who'd seen him do all these miracles, trust me again. This is the next step. It's what you've always wanted. Trust me. Paul talked about this in Romans 8, 831. If God is for us, who can be against us? Would you say that verse out loud with me? If God is for us, who can be against us? One more time. If God is for us, who can be against us? But you know, we live in a culture today where if we have pages in the Bible where the commandments of God don't go with where our culture is going, we go, well, we'll just tear those pages out. We don't need to trust God. Mm -mm. Nope. We don't need to trust him at all. We'll just go our own way. We'll just rewrite it. We'll just get a new leader and go back where we were. That brings us to note there. The Israelites rejected God's plan not because the land wasn't as good as God had promised, but because they were willing to settle for slavery. See, if we won't trust what God commands us to do and we won't obey him and we settle for our sin and staying stuck in sin... And we will bear all the pain and all the grief and all the consequences that God was rescuing us from. I mean, I cannot even tell you how many times people who have been unfaithful to their marriage vows have come to me later on and said, Oh, if I just would have been faithful. It's brought so much pain into my life. If I just would have listened, if I just would have trusted the Lord. But at the time, it looked like God was trying to steal all their fun. I know it's not right, but I'm going back. I know God's leading us into the promised land, but we're going back. Same thing. God can do anything you know, Paul in Ephesians 3, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Question is, will we go when he opens the door? That was the whole point of the whole trip. That's the reason they left Egypt. And when they left Egypt, with all the wealthy Egyptians, they were singing and dancing. When they got to the other side of the Red Sea and their enemies had been drowned behind them, they literally stopped and danced. And now it's a year or so later, they're giving up all hope because of a negative report. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if God has you at the edge of a big decision that you need to make or it's about God has opened a door wide open for you to step through, but it's going to be scary because you're going to have to go back to school. It's going to be scary because you're going to have to move to a new place. It's going to be scary because you're going to have to forgive somebody and you've been harboring a grudge for a long time. I don't know. It could be any of those things or a million other scenarios. But it's always right to trust God when we know he's leading us there man, I understand this. Some of you know that I prayed for more than 15 years before Center Point, before I ever began to work with Centerpoint for an opportunity to be the pastor of a church just like this one. And then when some people from Prattville contacted me about becoming the pastor of, of the group that later became Centerpoint, I remember when that opportunity came, I'd been praying about it for a long time, and I was scared because I knew where I'd been for almost 20 years, and this would be a radical step. I and mean, what if it wouldn't work, and what if we had all kinds of problems, which we did, which we have had. What if there's all kinds of decisions that we have to make their hard decisions, which there have been. I mean, what if all that comes? And I remember I went for a walk with my wife and I said, I'm just kind of scared to do this. And she said, you listen to me. I've been praying with you for 15 years about this. If you don't take this job, don't ever talk about it again because I'm not going to listen to you. your belly aching. <laughs> and I'm being nice, okay? <laughs> and I thank God that my redheaded wife was given to me Remind me, John, you prayed about this. Are you going to count on God or not? Well, I'm not the only one who's going to do that to you. He's going to do it to you, too, if you follow him. And I'm telling you, I had to wrestle with it when I was right on the edge of the promised land. Well, they didn't go in. And this brings us to point three, the Israelites' rebellion set in motion some far-reaching, painful consequences. See, if I don't obey God, if I obey God, then there are blessings that follow. If I don't, there are consequences that follow. Same for you, same for me, same for Moses, same for the people of children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites that they're making against me. Now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land that I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. You and your children, you said you and your children be carried off as plunder. Well, I'll bring them safely into the land, and they will enjoy what you have despised. But as for you, you'll drop dead in the wilderness. And your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And in this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. And then you will discover what it's like to have me for an enemy. I, the Lord, have spoken. And the ten men Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who incited rebellion against the Lord with a bad report, were struck dead with a plague before the Lord. Only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. And when Moses reported the Lord's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. And then they got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of hills. Let's go, they said. We realize we've sinned, but now we're ready to enter the land that the Lord has promised us. Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? won't work. Do not go into the land now. You'll only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites, they never even got to the people of Anak, by the way, who lived in those hills, came down and attacked them and chased them back as far as Horma. Mm. Warning. There are three warnings from this little story. Sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You you plant corn, you're getting corn. You plant wheat, you're getting wheat. We sow rebellion, we're not going to get blessing. If the Lord has led you clearly that there's something you need to do, do it. Do not delay. When we disobey Him, when he gives us commands, when he gives us advice, like you might have had five good friends and somebody you love who's prayed with you, talked about something, saying, you need to do this. You need to get help today. You need to go get counseling today. You need to do this today. Whatever it is, and we just won't do it. Well, then we're inviting those consequences in our lives, things that God is warning us about. He loves us, and he's compassionate toward us. Sometimes uh, when I hear this, it's like when I read this story, people read the story, they go, man, that sounds horrible. These people had to die in the wilderness. That's awfully harsh. Well, they wouldn't trust him in spite of all the miracles they'd seen. And so their children go in and they go, well, yeah, but then their children had to go through the wilderness with them for 40 years. And that's the next warning. The consequences of our sinful choices impact others. And that's true. But think how gracious and kind God was to these people. He could have struck them dead for their disobedience right there. And then all their children would have been orphaned, and who would have raised them? Instead, even though they were willfully disobedient and stubborn and stiff necked and would not trust him, he granted them the graciousness not only to see their children grow, but to see their grandchildren and even their great grandchildren be born. They lived, if you were 40 years old, you might have lived to be 80 years old. You lived a long life. He was gracious to them in spite of their rebellion. He said, If you won't go in, your kids will go in. But by the time they go in, there'll be another generation of leaders raised up and I'll be kind and merciful to you and let you even see your children and grandchildren. But you won't go in. Because you won't trust me. They will. God was faithful. He gave the land to them and their children. They wouldn't take it, so let the children have it. But the children had to suffer the consequences of wandering with them. So many times we forget this too. We think, well, my sin just impacts me. -mm, Rarely. And that's why God wants us to obey, and He warns us. Finally, a third warning is we must not be stubborn and allow our hearts to become hardened against God. When these people, time after time, complained there wasn't anything to drink, there wasn't food to eat, that God led them to a trap beside the Red Sea, that. God wouldn't protect them. God wouldn't guide them. God didn't know what was best for them. Grumbling and complaining and grumbling and complaining. Their hearts became hard. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. This is why the Holy Spirit says, "'Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, "'as Israel did when they rebelled, "'when they tested me in the wilderness. "'There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, "'even though they saw my miracles for 40 years.'" So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day, Well, it's still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. This is why we want you in a connect group, in a small group where there's some accountability. And if we have a blind spot or we're being disobedient, somebody, a friend of ours can call us out and say, hey, how come you haven't done that yet? Hey, when are you going to get started on that? Why are you holding on to that grudge? It's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. Hey, don't let each other, don't let your hearts get hard. This is what happened to those people. They started grumbling and complaining and they listened to bad advice. And they never got the blessing they could have had. I think you're here today because you want God's blessing. I think you're here today because you want God to lead you. Well, the lesson we can learn today is that God is faithful. And when he gives us a command, let's do it. We can count on it. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord God, I pray that today our hearts would not be hard. And if you are sending us clear instruction about steps we need to take, about things we need to let go of, about sins we need to surrender, about attitudes we need to change, whatever the case might be, maybe a new job, maybe going back to school, maybe a relationship issue or a financial concern. Whatever you've been leading us on, Lord, I pray that today we will listen to your voice and not delay in our obedience. oh, Heavenly Father, I just ask that today you would speak to our hearts and we would obey. In a moment of silence, if the Lord spoke to you about something, would you say, Lord, give me courage to obey you. Give me the strength to trust you. Help me get it done. Lord, we can't become people of faith if we don't have to exercise our faith. And we can't say that we love and trust you if we won't step out and trust. Thank you for these words of encouragement. Thank you that you always give us your word to guide us. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Hey, if the Lord spoke.